Hello. This is Zach coming to you from Kathmandu, Nepal for the Calm Mind series once again. Today's topic that I'm excited to be sharing with you is what is meditation? And before I begin, I'd like to acknowledge that I am as much a student of finding out what meditation is. I'm just as much a seeker as you are. And I owe my deepest gratitude to the teachers and masters who've taught these practices and this knowledge as have imparted this knowledge to me. So, now let's begin. Just stop for a second and try to define in your own words what the word meditation means. Seems to be a very popular term nowadays, which is a wonderful thing, but what is meditation? Is it something new or something old? Is it just related to yoga and Buddhism? Or does it stretch beyond that? Is it on a cushion or is it not on a cushion? And why would we want to meditate? Isn't it just sitting quietly and doing nothing? Is that a waste of time? As with many words in modern times, we often, and in translation, we often misunderstand them or use them in a different way from their original intent. Meditation could easily fall into this category, and in fact it does. There is not a single word that accurately describes what meditation is. Instead, we need to view it as an umbrella term under which many different words apply. Contemplation, mindfulness, recollection, awareness, clear consciousness, sustained attention, analysis, insight, calm abiding, wise attention, absorption and focus, all in some way, all these words, in some way try to describe what meditation is. Meditation has been around for thousands of years, if not longer. There are many Sanskrit terms to describe this state, Sanskrit uh, being the sort of, one of the mother tongues of this practice. And the most well-known among these terms in the yoga tra tradition is dhyana. Dhyana, the seventh of the eighth steps of the now famous Ashtanga Yoga, collated by the great Indian sage Maharishi Patanjali. And dhyana means total absorption. Another word you might hear quite a lot is samadhi, samadhi, which just means unification of the mind. And it means more than that, but I won't go into it just now. So dhyana is the term used in the yoga traditions. In Buddhism, the two general categories of meditation, the two terms are generally used, shamatha and vipassana. So shamatha is calm abiding or single-pointed quiescence, and vipassana, called vipassana in Pali, translates to special seeing or insight. <clears throat> the two go hand in hand because one cannot realize insight without calm abiding and clear focus, and one could not have the enthusiasm to practice calm abiding without having gained some insight into the nature of the mind, its flightiness, and its capacity to be tamed. As a side note, many will be familiar with the term vipassana as there are donation-based meditation centers across the globe that offer 10-day retreats and much longer retreats, these being the work of S.N. Goenka and his disciples. But this, of course, that name vipassana comes from special seeing, vipassana. Historically, meditation is labeled differently within different cultures depending on the lineage in which its practice has been passed down. In Sri Lanka, for example, the term bhavana is popular. Uh, 
This is the term the Buddha used in his teachings, and it means cultivation, or bringing something into being. It's the same word that one would use to refer to cultivating a field even, so it has an earthy and grounded connotation and resonance. It does not connote going anywhere else or flying away into the clouds, as many people, including many meditators themselves, wrongly believe is the purpose of meditation. Bhavana is rooted in the idea of being. When we meditate, we are working towards cultivating the immense power of the mind that is primordial and ever-present, yet clouded by habit patterns of distraction, overstimulation, laziness, doubt, and so on. Cultivating the mind allows virtuous states of mind to flourish, and therefore virtuous states of virtuous qualities of speech and action. All of these flow naturally. And with enough practice and habituation, eventually they will flow effortlessly, totally embodied. Minding the mind, so to speak, is the only way we can better our attitudes and our interactions with the world. And it is the surest way to develop wisdom and increase compassion. The Tibetan word that refers to meditation is gom, which is translated as to become familiar. If you have ever sat quietly alone or with others and just observed the flow of thoughts coursing through your mind uncontrollably, in that moment of observation, you became familiar with something you otherwise hadn't deeply known or experienced. What you may become familiar with is that the immediate quality of your mind is strongly habituated to whatever state or states of mind you operate within without hardly being aware of them. Thinking seems to occur without any volition whatsoever. Yet, what is within our minds, what regularly arises as habits of engaging with the world, this is what we are. Mind precedes all, taught the Buddha. Thus, suffering and happiness are equally born from the qualities of mind we cultivate in each and every moment. So through meditation, we become familiar with states of mind that are productive of happiness, wisdom, and awakening, while releasing states of mind that lead to misery and mindlessness. Recognizing this brings with it the recognition that happiness exists within, that it can be one's modus operandi through all circumstances. Sort of like the Beatles said about the rain, it's just a state of mind. Everything is fine. All contemplative traditions agree on the simple fact that mind precedes all, including the Beatles. In China, the term used to connote meditation is Chan, and in Japan, Zen. Every tradition and every lineage of practice is aimed at cultivating positive states of mind for the benefit of oneself and others. As you can now probably see, the sources of meditation terminology are ancient and vast, and they can therefore be rather confusing. There is so much material available in books and online regarding this topic. With the westernization of this concept over the last 50 years, there now exists even more styles and information and misinformation than ever before. And I encourage you to dive deep if you feel the urge to learn more. Dive deep and try it out yourself. 
Something important to understand is that meditation is not just related to sitting quietly with your legs crossed and your eyes closed. Of course, it is in these moments that we are able to create the time and space to dive inwards, to explore and understand our minds and bring ourselves into a state of calm. However, much more than the outward appearance of quote-unquote meditating, much more than that, what we are trying to establish in ourselves through meditation are new perspectives that are more flexible and grounded in reality. We are trying to cast off habitual narrow-mindedness and limited selfish views. Limited and limiting selfish views. In the silence of meditation, we attempt to see things differently through the process of analyzing our minds of the present and analyzing past scenarios which have caused us or others to suffer. The more we do this without getting caught up in habitual patterns, the more likely it is that liberating insight, even if momentarily, will arise. In meditation, we take the time to accept and work with a time-tested method of introspection that assists in changing from the ground up the way we see the world and the way we think and behave. Mind precedes all. Over time, regular meditation can lead to a total transformation of oneself for the better. Of course, I should add that if in meditation one focuses on negative states of mind and cultivates those states of mind eagerly, then the transformation may not be for the better. So it's best to inform yourself with uh, the ways that the masters before have taught. Essentially, meditation is a lifelong process of growing into, or better yet, releasing into, primordial awareness. Meditation is part of the process of becoming a more open, moral, wise, truthful, fair, peaceful, and happier human being. It is about living in the moment without being constantly anchored to the past and attached to what may happen in the future. Realizing the, the present moment as the ground of all being. The past and the future being constructs that are absolutely ungraspable. So meditation is flowing with this present moment and embracing or at least accepting whatever life throws at you with grace and courage born from wisdom and equanimity. Meditation is nurturing positive states of mind, feelings and qualities, but it is also working with our afflictive states of mind, attitudes and emotions such as anger, hatred, ignorance, selfishness and attachment in order to understand and utilize these energies for higher purposes. It is a creation, cultivation, and nurturing of a path towards all-around betterment of oneself, and by extension, of others. There is no destination with meditation. It is simply a journey of rising above and challenging our stale attitudes cultivated since childhood. It is questioning what society imposes on us and how much of that is useful and conducive to our, to our happiness. It is actively seeking to change and move towards a state of natural and sustainable positivity, serenity, and wisdom, a state of being which is not dependent upon any external factors, limitless in inner well-being and self-arising positive potential. Meditation is a practice, hopefully a consistent one, which reinforces what it is that you are trying to be. It is, there to, it is there to create space within the clutter of the mind 
to recognize space behind the clutter of mind, to rest in peace and clarity instead of a constant stream of unleashed and somewhat random thoughts. It is the ultimate tool of transformation. Like I said, mind precedes all. Mind precedes transformation. It is a lifelong friend that connects you to your highest potential and abilities. It is in fact a way of life once you become established in the practice and realize you can meditate and perhaps should meditate or at least be mindful, minding the mind, whether you're on the cushion or not. Meditation helps uncover the intelligence that exists within us all. The intelligence that simply needs the time and space to be recognized, trusted, and embodied. Intelligence that is beyond time and space, I should add. <laughs> the more we practice, the greater our understanding, which allows a more objective, refined, and equanimous way of perceiving and acting in our everyday lives. Our world begins to open, and we see the diversity, complexity, depth, and interconnectivity of our existence. We truly become more intelligent and move through the world with this newfound wisdom that was always there. It is this wisdom which, once gained, becomes our greatest asset in this life and all future states of existence. We take it with us since it's impossible to become nothing after death. This newfound wisdom is like, as the Master Dilgo Kyanse Rinpoche said, it's like discovering the true state of mind through meditation. It's like a poor man finding a whole treasure of riches in his house. Wisdom is the highest form of intelligence. After having learned something, for example, the accumulation of information, for example, the accumulation of information, we then go on to eventually reflect and think about this information in such a way that we actually comprehend the implications of it and integrate this into our understanding on a conceptual embodied level. I'm sorry, just on a conceptual level. This is knowledge on the conceptual level. Wisdom, however, is when this knowledge has been realized and embodied, whereby it becomes a part of you. You act always with this as an intuitive, spontaneous, and natural part of your being. You no longer need to think about it because it is fused into your personality. Your mind is unified with the knowledge. Samadhi, in a certain sense, unification of the mind. For example, in Buddhism, it is said to live with to live with compassion at the center of everything you do is the most supreme emotion. The practice of meditation in this case is there to enable this to be cultivated, analyzed, revisited time and time again until finally one day you reach beyond your mere understanding and think, speak, and act with the attitude of compassion. You are unified with compassion. You have embodied compassion. You have unified a mind of compassion. You have cultivated a new bhava, a new part of your being, through practicing meditation and through virtuous being and activities outside of meditation, because they do go hand in hand. Meditation utilizes our mental consciousness to observe, analyze, and concentrate. It can take many forms such as focusing inwardly on a part of the body, sensations, observing the mind itself, 
even generating emotions such as compassion, forgiveness, kindness, and tolerance, connecting to our own inner wisdom, or devoting oneself through prayer to a divine being. It can be done as part of a religious practice, but on the other hand, it is also completely non-religious and non-sectarian. It is really just the muscle. It is really the medium for whatever practice. So we must continue to practice to cultivate this muscle or to cultivate this medium. We must continue to practice again and again until we reach our most subtle form of consciousness and these desired states become spontaneous rather than forced or performed. Let us now explore what meditation is not, as understanding what something is not often helps us to clarify what it really is. It is not an activity which requires the body to be in a certain position. Meditation is a mental activity and one that can be done whilst walking, eating, working, cooking, pooping, or dancing even. The times where we do set aside a particular time and space for the practice will generally yield better results. But do not let that discourage you if you are poor and if you don't have enough time or feel unable to sit for the practice. Every single moment is an opportunity to observe the mind and cultivate virtue. So you see, even physical activities of body can be the ground for mental observation of the mind, from observation of the mind in such physical states and activities. Meditation is not doing nothing. Not nothing. <laughs> the goal of meditation is not to try and not think and sit quietly without distraction. In fact, as we have already heard, it can often be the process of deliberately analyzing aspects of ourselves we wish to address and change in some way. Meditation is not something that must be done in a special place, like a yoga studio, meditation center, a cave in the Himalayas, or a special room in your house. It can literally be done at any place, any time. It requires no equipment or particular conditions. It simply is the mind and a chosen focus point at that time and moment. It is not for the purpose of experiencing pleasant bodily sensations. Your spiritual aspirations will be ruined by becoming attached to its outcome, the outcome of your spiritual aspirations. As lofty and wonderful as they may be, any attachment will necessarily lead to misery, including attachment to the quote-unquote outcome of meditation. Simply approaching each and every practice with an open mind is the only way to not to experience disappointment if desired results are not produced. Not a single day of our lives is ever the same, not even two moments, so it would be ignorant to expect your practice to be the same every time. Our mood, weather, food we have eaten, problems physically and mentally at the time, all of these partially affect the result of our practice, amount of sleep especially. Patience and a non-judgmental view of oneself are key to sustaining a long-term practice of any kind, not just meditation. And furthermore, you should be mindful of your notions of quote-unquote progress or goals, quote-unquote success, and other such terms that are often inculcated in us through a lens of pursuing material gain. So analyze your motivation constantly and 
try to fall back on joyful perseverance that is for, that is for virtuous um, states of being and mind. Meditation is not a mysterious Eastern practice for advanced yogis and spiritual practitioners. Although meditation has its roots and origins in the quote-unquote East, this practice involves using the mind towards the betterment of oneself. That's all it is. We all have a mind, so we can all practice. Different styles will suit different people, and it is important to explore until you find which styles suit you. And in fact, other traditions, Sufi, uh, Christian mystical, and Christian monastic, and so on, also have contemplative meditative practices as part of their um, traditions. So meditation is not something that produces instant results either. Uh, it requires sustained, long-term, patient and judgment-free practice time and time again. We live in a world where everything is instant. The world is literally at our fingertips. And it leads us to live our lives generally with an underlying attitude of expecting instant gratification and or results. This can create roadblocks in a method which requires us to commit to disciplined practice over the course of at least one lifetime and offers long-term challenges that are created and maintained over the course of many years, even decades, and can be difficult and slow to come to fruition. This sense of uh, expecting results and gratification, uh, not gratification necessarily, but even just expecting results is even more um, possible uh, dangerous to your meditation practice because one's meditation practice should be also about releasing results, releasing expectations altogether. And if you have expectations in that practice of having, of releasing expectations, then you're going in circles. Do you see what I mean? It is not a practice, meditation that is, that should be making you more selfish. Meditation should not make you more selfish. Just because you take the time to explore your own mind doesn't make you a selfish person. In the end, because you will eventually cultivate an all-around more positive and joyous nature, you will be a more selfless individual because thinking of others comes naturally to those who have done a lot of inner work. And again, meditation is merely the medium for that kind of serious inner work over a long period of time. It is not, uh, if at some point you recognize your motivation is selfish and even worse, that it might even exploit or cause harm to any other being, then you should reevaluate. You should stop what you're doing, reevaluate it, and um, start again. Always time to start again. The goal of meditation is not to shut down the mind and be in a state of total relaxation, but it is finding balance within. The relaxation is part of that for sure, but it is not flying off and resting and basking because that's a kind of attachment in that kind of total relaxation. If you become attached to a state of blissful equipoise, then that's a kind of attachment and that's an obstacle. So, finding the way to be happy in who you truly are in each and every moment of your existence, this is more about the quote-unquote goal of meditation. If your desire to meditate is to uncover and abide in a state of nothingness, quote-unquote nothingness, Stop right there and reevaluate. 
Nothingness doesn't even exist. So there's no escaping anything through meditation. Meditation is not an escape. It is not an anesthetic. It is a tool so you can better approach those things you might otherwise want to be anesthetized from. See what I mean? So there appear to be numberless different types and styles of meditation in our modern times. However, according to the Tibetan tradition, this can be simplified into the two categories mentioned before as stabilizing meditation and analytical meditation, shamatha and vipassana. Stabilizing meditation, also referred to as calm abiding or shamatha in Sanskrit, is where we use an object such as the breath, sound, the body, visualization of images, or even the mind itself in order to attain a prolonged period of focus or willful concentration on said object. In a world where multitasking has become the norm, our ability to focus has lessened to a point where many of us find it almost impossible to be still or concentrated for even a very short period of time. We must learn to encourage and build active awareness in our lives so that we may experience life to its fullest potential in the moment. If your mind is not focused or present, then your ability to experience and recall a situation is greatly lessened, as the mind is elsewhere. This also lends itself to recognizing how our memories um, stand to be at a disadvantage from our multitasking, instant gratifi gratification culture. So shamatha is the foundation for all other kinds of meditation and for deeper and deeper expeditions into the mind. Funny, some people think one might be going on a meditation retreat or sitting still and going nowhere, but really, one through shamatha and other practices is exploring the mind, incredible expeditions into the psyche and into the mind. <clears throat> Note also that concentration in itself is not positive. Shamatha is not necessarily positive or negative for that matter. It's just a tool, a telescope, as I've said before. And what we do, what we get from using it, depends on how we use it <clears throat> for, what what, for what motivation. A bank robber, for example, needs very good concentration to carry out their crime. And Cristiano Ronaldo needs exceptional concentration to score the winning goal. As the goal of spiritual practice is freeing our minds from negative thoughts and emotions and attaining clarity, peace, and joy, we need to learn to concentrate our minds so they do not fall prey to, shall we say, unholy thinking. This does not mean looking only at the light side of things and avoiding the darker stuff as it arises in meditation or pushing it away, because those kinds of things will arise that is part of our experience as complex human beings. It means that one's stabilized attention, rooted in and motivated by virtuous ethics, is the ground for transforming negative mind states and the ground for the natural arising wisdom that sees through duality altogether. It's not just staring at the light side and making that a bigger, brighter part of who we are, although that may be a natural consequence of meditation, shamatha. Shamatha is ultimately about realizing non-duality. Contemplatives today and for the past thousands of years report that the basic quality of primordial being is blissful, loving, all-knowing, light, and compassionate. So at advanced stages of calm abiding meditation, one isn't trying to go anywhere or stay anywhere positive 
or even transform negative into positive, but instead they try merely to release into this basic being of infinite positivity. Analytical meditation, before this aforementioned achievement of shamatha takes that developing, analytical meditation rather, takes that concentration, that concentrated mind, and applies it towards transforming negative, rigid, ignorant, and old beliefs and perspectives, allowing one to gain insights into the self, nature, emotions, and worldly scenarios by applying logic and reasoning and actively cultivating positive emotions, feelings, and behaviors in the place of negative ones. Over time, the active nature of this practice will yield more spontaneous results, if you will. One common method is meditating on the disadvantages of anger and the advantages of patience. Over time, with constant practice, we are able to rise above and finally let go of these patterns for good. This must, of course, be coupled with active mindfulness while not meditating on a cushion. So meditating on patience will help you cultivate patience when impatience, or when impatience arises. And that is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, to be cultivating patience on the cushion so that you will not become impatient while behind the wheel of a car, for instance. We meditate away from the world so we can be better humans in the world. Analytical meditation is known as vipassana in Sanskrit, and which translates to special seeing, as I mentioned before. And the special seeing is ultimately about knowing the nature of reality. Shamatha is the ground of vipassana, as you must develop the ability to focus in order, to, in order for the analytical meditation to be even somewhat effective. Without focus, we are unable to penetrate our mind to the level where we can actually observe when change, actually observe then change its inner workings. This process is the path of slowly but surely eliminating the thoughts, behaviors, emotions, and feelings which cause us and others unhappiness. If you only choose to do meditation on the breath, for example, although over time you will gain more capacity to focus for longer periods of time, you will not have reflected or questioned your own thoughts, habits, and behaviors. So only so much progress will be made in your understanding of reality. You may become better at everything you do using this increased attentional stability at work while reading or playing ping pong, for example, but ultimately you will miss out on the insights of the Buddha and the entire purpose of inner development and this entire path. That's why shamatha and vipassana go hand in hand. We spend a lot of time battling and struggling internally. Feelings of guilt, shame, embarrassment, anger, hatred, and dissatisfaction all play somewhat leading roles in our psyche. If we stop for a moment and take an honest look at ourselves, we will likely find that we feel good about certain parts of ourselves, and there are pieces of us that we do wish we could change in some way. Meditation is the tool to nurture and amplify the good whilst addressing and either dissolving or accepting what we view as bad. Oftentimes, accepting it involves dissolving it also, I should, I should add. So, at a basic level, you could sum it up by saying, we change what we cannot accept, and we accept what we cannot change. We must challenge the status quo, nevertheless. So ask yourself, am I happy? If I die today, 
Would I have any regrets? Ask yourself this, meditate on this. If you died today, would you have any regrets? What is your view of yourself? How do you treat others? What are the themes and repetitive thoughts and behaviors in your life? What are the things that seem like you can't change? They're stuck, that you're stuck in. If you could change them, would you? Chances are, one of those questions will make you think deeply. I hope so. And given that you are a human being, and we all have our own lessons to learn, there are likely parts of yourself which cause you to experience friction from not being aligned, from not being aligned yet with the basic nature of being that all forms of life share. There are pieces of yourself which do not allow you to fulfill your highest potential. But we all have a mind, and we have this very moment to practice and strengthen our ability to change. It is something that we can change. It is not static. It is not stuck. In fact, there has never been a greater opportunity to benefit yourself and others through meditation. That is why for thousands of years it has been, and still is, an indispensable tool for this liberating work. So, let's begin the practice. Thank you for listening to this audio. I hope that it motivates you to keep practicing. Feel free to share this with anyone who may also receive some benefit from these tools. And if you're able at this time, please consider donating to the charities supported by the Calm Mind series, which can be found on our website at mindride.org donate. They need our help right now, and giving always makes us feel good. Have a great day. Peace. Om Shanti.